So welcome. I am Stuart Coleman, Learning and Business Development Director at the Open Data Institute, and this is ODI's Inside Business podcast. Today's podcast is a bit of a departure for Inside Business because instead of it being a discussion between me and two or three data leaders, I'm actually going to have a one-to-one with the Director of Data Growth and Operations at the UK's primary and most respected source of data about our country. I'm delighted to welcome Fiona James from the Office for National Statistics, or ONS, as many people will frequently hear the organisation referred to. And today we're going to explore the role that the Office for National Statistics, the body that collects, shares and uses data on behalf of all of us in the UK, is playing or should be playing in helping businesses to recover from the pandemic. In particular, we're going to look at what progress has been made towards getting the ONS to work more closely with industry to access private sector data, um, what lessons have been learned, what opportunities have been built on from the pandemic, and looking a bit more at how it's going in terms of getting businesses to trust the ONS enough to share their data and what sort of value organisations can expect to get back from sharing, as there are some great initiatives underway. But first, before we get into all of those exciting areas, I think it could be really helpful for Fiona to explain what her role is, giving her a caveat here. She is fresh in role, three months, I think it is. Is that right? Or two and a half months, Fiona, that you've been with the ONS? Yes, thank you, Stuart. And it's a pleasure to be with you here today on your podcast. So, my name's Fiona James. I'm the Chief Data Officer and Director for Data Growth and Operations at the ONS. This is a new role at the ONS with the mission to grow at scale the data used for analytical purposes and to enable the smooth kind of engineering and integration of that data end-to-end at the share being agreed through to them bringing it into ONS and cleansing it and making it available and secure for analytical use. Thank you. That's great to hear. And you say it's a new role. I, I talked in my intro about ONS's role in the pandemic, and there were kind of glimpses of that at different times throughout the pandemic. And in fact, I think Chief Medical Officer Professor Chris Whitty was updating the nation with his famous next slide, please. Did the ONS get involved in preparing or contributing to those slides? As far as you know, certainly the data was used, right? Yeah, absolutely. The data was was used. I'm not sure if we got involved in actually producing the slides that were shared with the nation, certainly when I uh, clocked in to look at the speeches. But um, no, I mean, I'm sure many of you will recognise the ONS for the analysis and insights it provided during the pandemic through the COVID infection survey. Not only was it the single source of truth for COVID data in the UK, it was recognised internationally as being the gold standard by the world health organisation. It really did have far-reaching, global and meaningful individual impact. And the ONS reputation has never been better. And it was an absolute key aim to be able to make the findings of the data accessible to the whole of the public so people could find and understand information that was relevant to them. Really what we learned from that was developing a health data asset at PACE highlighted the importance of building the underlying data and technology infrastructure and taking a strategic approach through the development of bringing key data sets together 
So we took a strategic choice early on to build a health data asset which aimed to bring relevant and separate data sets together which had never previously been integrated. For example, the only place where ethnicity was recorded in our data was the census 2011, which we were then able to integrate with death rates. And through this approach, we started to focus more on the end-to-end journey of data from acquisition through to integration and to build the foundations of being able to anticipate those policy and research questions. So reflecting on what you just said, it sounds like, in a way, the pandemic forced many organisations to work together in pursuit of a common good and a compelling timeline to really up the ante as far as data sharing goes. You know, I know the the ONS has, has lobbied for years to improve the sharing of data across major government departments. And obviously, the census is a an extremely valuable data collection exercise, but also extremely expensive for the taxpayer. Can you expand upon what you see as the potential utility of this asset that is something that the ONS is remaining committed to off the back of the pandemic? How do you see it evolving and becoming a utility to UK um, businesses or to organisations wanting to bring their business to the UK potentially? Yeah, sure, Stuart. I mean, just before doing that, you touched on the role of the ONS in the census and how important that is. And we're trying to build a new world of population estimates now, rethinking the role of censuses altogether in order to develop a more agile, responsive statistics system that can provide real-time data. So we're heading towards a decision next year about um, whether we run another census in 2031 or not, which I'd be very happy to talk more about. But to to answer your question about building out the health data assets, no, this is absolutely the approach that we're taking for the new integrated data service, where we're aiming to build a number of pre-linked data assets that can be used and reused multiple times for research and analysis. This is very much part of the modernisation and reform programme of the government and a key enabler of the national data strategy and the the government's drive towards efficiency. The integrated data service is aiming to create a joined up system across government for analysts and for external accredited researchers, including businesses who are accredited researchers, to anonymise and securely link data and unlock the value of whole government data to continue to address the biggest questions of our time and to create progressively enriched collection of data sets. I mean, ONS has a history of bringing external people in to work on secure data sets in research positions, but this is subtly different, as I understand it, because what's happening here is you're creating a service that is, to a certain extent, directed by user needs. Is that correct? So people are saying, well, actually, we want we, we want or need or could benefit from access to data in these areas. And ONS is saying, okay, well, then we'll provide that. We'll make it provision, provision it for you to whatever extent we can. We'll make sure it's safe and secure to access. Um, you reciprocally need to, I, I'm guessing there's going to be some form of checks for these organizations, but some form of onboarding to make sure that they are working in the public interest and not using the data for the wrong purposes. But ultimately, this is a more tailored, more kind of agile service, can I call it, if I can call it that, than perhaps there has been before. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's building on the success of the Secure Research Service, which has been successfully and safely linking data for the last 15 years. But what we're aiming to do differently, and so this is a new platform that we're building, is 
really that kind of linking and integrating of data, which has never been made available across government before. And by making de-identified data securely available, it can be used in multiple research projects and have far-reaching impact and even bring organisations together. So it will be available for both the inside government and outside of government and can support decisions on a whole range of areas from public health, regional growth, through to climate change and jobs and skills. That's actually great. I was going to, I mean, you've alluded to a couple of the kind of key areas there, which I guess align to kind of government policy priorities in terms of climate, health and the levelling up agenda. Can you expand a little bit on what some of the use cases might be? for some of those data for people listening going oh actually you know I'm a business working on environmental challenges I wonder what data could could be there that could help us tackle that because obviously that's in everyone's interest are there any particular examples that spring to mind yeah so part of my role as the chief data officer will be to ensure that everyone has an awareness of what data the platform holds and as part of the development of the data we are developing a metadata catalog which will list out the data it holds and the principles and standards by which we expect, by extension, users to work with. So we've got 32 projects that are currently lined up to use the service when it moves into full public beta. But through the private beta phase and new private beta phase, we've already been working with energy efficiency of housing, the annual survey of hours and earnings and BBC News text projects. And as we move into further delivery, because 2022 is the year of delivery, then we will be making more cross-government data sets available, including the annual business survey and job vacancy data, alongside integrated data sources, which form part of our three data assets of levelling up health and climate change. We talk about data as infrastructure at the ODI. I mean, you've used the words assets quite a lot here today. Um, Obviously, the two are interoperable is real progress. It seems like, I guess, on on one hand, maybe the challenge of the pandemic has highlighted to policymakers the criticality of having these types of data um, assets and infrastructure in place, which is, I mean, making investments in in new roles like yours, because a new role at your level is, is quite a significant one in the civil service. So that's really, really good to see. I'd like to switch tack for a second and I think talk about the evolution that ONS has been on in the way it uses data to produce statistics. Can you talk a bit more about how ONS is getting smarter, more savvy, kind of more authoritative in the way it produces some of the what I'd call bread and butter statistics that help inform policymakers and all of us around things like the cost of living, around the state of household earnings, these kind of things. Just talk us a bit about where ONS is with all of that. Yes, I think over the last couple of years, particularly with the introduction of the Digital Economy Act, what we've seen is an opening up of some sharing of data, although I think some departments would argue that they still struggle to see the value of it. But certainly... We now have well over 400 data sharing agreements in place through which we're using the Digital Economy Act as the legal gateway. And that has largely been with other government departments. But we are increasingly part of that also working more intelligently with businesses. And we have been acquiring private sector data through negotiating access by goodwill under our mission to use data for the public good. 
and two kind of key data sets that are really enabling us to have our finger on the pulse, so to speak, as you as you asked, are financial transaction data and supermarket scanner data. So this is like electronic point of sale data, I would call EPOS data, they used to call it years ago. I don't know whether that's the same. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so it's... Fantastic, um, fantastic. We've got seven UK supermarkets that cover around 60% of the market, and it's vastly improved the way we collect retail data for inflation and retail sales statistics, which is particularly important now given the cost of living crisis. And it allows us to have more timely updates around kind of consumer patterns. And it's far more granular than those collected by business surveys and local field collection. You mentioned 400 data sharing agreements and... and uh... Gosh, I mean, that's fantastic progress. I remember being involved in 2017, reviewing some of the digital economy agreement, and, and I forget which clause it was, but there was one there that gave ONS more authority to secure access to private sector data. So it's great to see that having come through. Yeah, just to be clear, I appreciate you may not be able Yeah, we don't actually use the powers in the Digital Economy Act to mandate any private sector data. So just to be really clear on that. It's very much done. So you have commercial agreements in, in sorry to cut across you, but but for the benefit of people listening, you have commercial agreements in place. Um, but but is it fair to say that the digital economy agreement helped create an environment where organisations were willing to enter into discussions to provide access to these data? Of course, there is a cost of supply for them to do so, but but in essence, that in itself is progress, is it not? It is absolutely. And I think there's a joint kind of mutual interest and recognition that sharing each other's data can help us all kind of understand new insights about the market, for example. So we do very much kind of try to help each other in this regard and make our ONS data available where it's possible to do that. I'm sure you can't name some of the organisations, but is there an organisation you can name who is sharing such data? Yes, yeah, so I'd really like to thank the co-op for allowing us to let everyone know that they work collaboratively with us. So big thanks to, to the co-op on that. But unfortunately, the others I cannot share due to commercial okay. uh, arrangements we have in place with them. More their loss, right? They could have had a positive um, uh, right <laughs> I think we do want to create a kind of value exchange to suppliers. So we do help support corporate social responsibility, branding and narrative. And as I said, offer to collaborate on analytical and research projects. Well, I, and I, and I, I, would, I would actually... Hopefully, ONS and Fiona won't mind me putting a call to action out for ONS here. Like if people from business are listening and they think their data could be useful to inform UK policy or inform other UK businesses to make better decisions on behalf of all of us, whether that's around the health and well-being of the nation, whether that's around helping us work more effectively and collaboratively all to deliver a net zero or whether that is supporting the levelling up agenda. I mean, everyone has got an interest in all of those things. So actually, I'm sure there are opportunities for many organisations to step forward and share. Yeah, data. and we'd absolutely love to work with anyone who would like to work with us in terms of their data sharing. So please, please just get in touch with me directly. I'd be really keen to hear from you. And on that note, I think that's a good note to finish on. I'd like to thank Fiona and Steve, who has been here with us in the background, but very much like to thank Fiona for her support three months into the job in the exciting new role. And she did say it was okay. If people wanted to follow up with her, we are going to post something on this podcast so that people can do so, either because they're interested to access or learn more about the integrated data service 
Or because perhaps to the last point, they maybe have data they think could be useful to the ONS or indeed to all of us. 